All right, big idea today. What I do with my sexuality, just going there, impacts my spirituality. What I do with my sexuality actually impacts my spirituality. So when I, when I first got here, uh, whopping two months ago, three months ago, we did a series called Jesus Is. And we looked at eight statements that Jesus used to define himself. And, and if he is who he claimed to be, that is, if he is God, and he created this thing that we're all in called life, all trying to figure out its meaning and purpose, <clears throat> then what I experience in my life, not just sexuality, and not just sex and intimacy, has a huge impact on my, on my discipleship and my personal relationship with Jesus. What I'd like to ask this morning, something that I've been thinking about, and if, you, if you've known me at all or had a conversation with me, I'm more of a conversationalist than a preacher, and I think it's important that uh, we, I, I, I balance both tensions. I, I want to teach, but I also want to have a conversation and share what God's been up to in my life. So here's a question that I want to ask about sex and intimacy. What is happening to my soul when I'm sexually intimate with my spouse, all right? I'm 36. I've been around the block. What's happening sexually uh, in, my, in my spirituality, even if I'm having sex with someone that isn't my spouse? This isn't just a question for people that are married. It's for everybody, because if Jesus is telling the truth of who he is, then how we express ourselves sexually and intimately matters greatly. And the first idea I'd like for you to consider is that our intimacy, your intimacy, begins way before the bedroom. Way before the bedroom. I, I grew up going to a very conservative, strict uh, Baptist school. Nothing wrong with that noun or those adjectives. I was basically Kevin Bacon and Footloose, minus the dance moves. Uh, and so their, their ability, okay, we're talking about sex, so we got to be able to laugh, all right? Relax, guys. My, the ability, um, I totally lost what I was trying to say. So their ability to have sex ed in a Baptist conservative Christian school was, here's a few random verses, and then they would say, you know, sex is dirty, wrong, and gross, save it for the one you love. Like, I don't want to have sex with my wife if sex is dirty, wrong, and gross. I should save it for the one I love. That sounds like something that's on clearance at Walmart. Who, who would ever want to give that to somebody they love? Apparently, we have a lot of Walmart shoppers. That didn't land. All right. No offense. Sorry. <laughs> but then on the weekends, I would go to the Christian church, a lot like RCC, uh, White Oak Christian Church is where I grew up. And my pastor said, sex is awesome. It's amazing. Uh, it's so mind-blowing that when you have sex, it bonds you together with that person. I'm like, this is great. This is way better than what the Baptists are telling me. I love the, again, no offense to Baptists, but I love, I'm 17. Give me a break, all right? I'm a normal kid. I love this approach. And then he said something like this. Uh, he didn't say it like this because he was better with words. But he said it like this, you know, sex is like a, a Christmas gift that you ask Santa for, right? Like, I can't wait to open this gift. And you run downstairs on Christmas morning. It's a package. has your name on it. Oh, man, I can't wait to experience this. My pastor said it's amazing and it's awesome. <clears throat> and then you look at the tag and it says, uh, for Ben to be opened in 10, 15, let's be honest, 87, no, 87 years, right? Then on the back of it, it says, to be opened with your spouse. Ah! 
On the one hand, it's dirty, wrong, and gross. I'm supposed to save it for my wife. But on the other hand, it's so amazing. It's going to be so overwhelming that when I experience it, I need to be in the context of a safe, loving relationship that my pastor calls marriage. Oh, man. Adulting. I'll tell you what. I was so confused and nervous on my wedding day that I look like this. This is a photo of me sitting in a wheelchair. You can laugh, all right? Get over yourself. It's, it's, look, do not cry to me about your ability to handle humidity in, in the Northeast, all right? I will not cry to you about my inability to handle my first winter here. You don't know what hell is like unless you lived in the Midwest in the summer. It was like 90-ish degrees the middle of July. It rained uh, all week, probably like an hour, hour and a half. It stopped before this photo was taken. I was so nervous. Uh, <laughs> my palms were sweaty. You know, I went into the Eminem song. I, I found a restroom there, put water on my face, and I walked out and saw a wheelchair. And, of course, this is my world. You're living in it. I figured nobody's handicapped in this world but me. So I stole somebody's wheelchair to sit in it, and I'm, like, rolling myself over to the base of the steps. I would walk up uh, to have... Um, uh, my wife's hand in marriage. And that night, I realized that what I do with my sexuality actually does impact my spirituality. Uh, Peter, a guy who followed Jesus, the Bible calls these guys and gals disciples, says this in 1 Peter 1.3, his divine power, it's a pronoun referencing to Jesus, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. In other words, intimacy begins before the bedroom because intimacy begins with my relationship with Christ. What the scriptures are saying, what Peter, I think, is proposing is that the core of who we are is our true identity. That when we're born, okay, I'm just going to speak in generalities. I know it's not like this for every family. But when we're born in that hospital and our parents are smitten with love for us, there, there's, a, there's a sense that in our bones, at our core, that we belong to the Lord. And that our true self and our, our identity is found in a relationship with Jesus. That this is way beyond, like, can I get my... Uh, get out of hell free card, right? And then just do whatever I want for whatever, right? I mean, religion is powerful. I mean, religion is powerful in, in terms of like when they start telling people what to do and how to do it with their bodies. And so we, we suppress that sometimes. But, but when we're born, at, at the core of who we are is our true self. And, and if we're not pursuing Jesus, or maybe we haven't even thought of it, like the prodigal son, which we'll talk about, we're going to do five weeks on him in February, which we talked about, we look and settle for things less lovely than the God who created us. In other words, Jesus is the God of the Bible, right? This is what the Bible, I'm not asking you to believe it, I'm just telling you what it says of itself. Jesus, the God of the Bible, created the world. He, he, I remember in eighth grade asking my youth pastor, so Jesus like existed before the Mary thing? He's like, yeah, he created, he's God, oh, okay. So Jesus created the world, created beautiful experiences like sexuality, and in Exodus, he tells his people, do not have any other gods before you. 
right? Don't chase after other loves that you think are equal or better than the love that I can give you. If you do this, you will be hurt, you will be broken. It's not a condemnation statement. It's I love you, I created you, I know what's good for you, I know how to form your identity, but what do the Israelites do? What do we do? I don't have any other gods before me. How much debt are you in? How stressed out are you about your kid's schedule? Like, when's the last time you felt physically healthy? Why do you always give in and not set healthy boundaries for yourself? I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to say that our gods are a little different, right? Like, I mean, maybe you have a crazy neighbor, Joe, who's building this, like, you know, brass cow or whatever, and he's going to work. That's kind of weird, but we don't do that anymore. But we do have, we do have masters. We are in debt to certain things. And so Jesus says, I want an exclusive covenant relationship with you, and I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to write a book called the Bible over 1,500 years and five continents, and men are going to write in it, and women are going to write in it, and it's going to be a love story about how much I'm coming after you. Now, if my wife came on stage, it would be awesome, and said, my husband is an amazing man, she would be telling the truth. (laughs) He has so much love to give, like the song, He Loves Me Good. But he has so much love to give that when we're at Target, he hits on the girl at Target in the aisle. I would never do that. It would probably be Whole Foods because I've got standards. Every woman he sees, he approaches and asks if he can take her out to dinner or tries to kiss. You like, dude, you have a problem. You need to talk to somebody. Why is that funny? Why is that, why is that like a fat guy in a little coat? Because we understand that when Jesus sets up marriage, it's an exclusive relationship between a husband and a wife. And it answers the question, all right, and I'm speaking in general. I've... Look, I've been in ministry for almost 15 years. I've seen very abusive marriages under the horrible demonic guise of, I'm the husband, you need to submit. Well, forcing your wife to have sex every morning, that's not what that means. But that's a real-life illustration of, of a woman that I had to talk to as a youth pastor, right? If you think 36 is young, try, try being 25 and saying, look, that's not healthy. But in a healthy relationship... It answers the question that you are safe. You you are able to express yourself with your spouse for a lifetime. Tim Keller, a pastor at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, he's since retired. He launched it in like the 80s. Now it's, you know, five, seven, eight locations. Um, Phenomenal writer. He says something very profound. And I don't want you, because I know sex is such a hot topic, like theologically, politically, and, and, and all this. I just want you to listen to this for the discipleship value of the arc of how Scripture is set up. He says, sex outside of marriage lacks integrity. You're asking someone to do something with their body that you're not asking them to do with their whole life and with their whole self. So when I read that, that okay, that, that makes sense. If, if Jesus created me in my truest self is found and discovered in him, it would make sense that he would ask me for an exclusive relationship that would not have other gods, deities, ideas, people. He gets first dibs in defining who I am as a person, not anybody else. It would make sense then 
at least to me in my journey, uh, is that when I express myself sexually and intimately with somebody, that the healthiest way to do it is in the context of marriage, where I'm asking them not just to give, not just for someone to give me their body on a Friday night after a night out, but to actually get, invite them that I might experience their whole self, their whole person. You see, I think there's this false idea, it's just my opinion, that, we, that, that especially, well, I don't say that. I think there's this false idea in our culture that says the highest form of intimacy is, is experienced in a sexual relationship. You know, Jesus never had sex. He died a 33-year-old virgin, which may be his last miracle, to be honest with you. I mean, turning water into wine, he probably had a, you know, didn't, he probably could take anybody out that he wanted. I think there's a reason why. Like one of my favorite musicians, Rich Mullins, says, it's okay to be lonely as long as you're free. Because Jesus never had sex with anybody, but yet he had profound, beautiful, intimate relationships with men and with women. And, and, and I think there's, this, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, maybe I'm 36, but talking like an 80-year-old. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But I think there's this false idea in our culture that says to have ultimate intimacy and meaning and, pur- and purpose is found when you're sleeping with somebody. I just don't get that. I don't see that when I read the scriptures. Maybe you do. I, 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 I don't. And, and one of the harmful, hurtful things that we can do, uh, that, that, well, pastors can do as leaders of a church, is sort of minimize the single folks, to sort of minimize the people who have recently experienced divorce. The, 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 the couple that recently experienced the passing of their spouse. Intimacy that forms our identity is not meant to be created by my wife. That's what Jesus is for. And if I don't allow Jesus to define my identity, and I don't have that love, intimate relationship with him first, I'm going to, this happens all the time, guys, I'm going to project on my wife or my boss or my friends and say, I need you to love me because I don't know how to love myself. My wife's job is not to give me my identity. That's Jesus' job. That's why we sing about the cross and the empty tomb every single weekend. Friends, if, if we don't do this, right, especially men, especially, I just grew up in this context that, like, men don't follow Jesus because they can probably beat him in an arm wrestling match. Just the way he's been communicated. But Jesus is tough. But he's also tender, and he knows the difference of when to be which. Here's the deal, friends. Point number two is that intimacy ends with our core fears. When we project on our spouse, you need to give me ultimate meaning and fulfillment, it will cut to the core of our fears, and it will almost, if we let it, cut out our intimacy. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 7, Moses writes, when the woman, so this is a, the context, if you're new to the Bible, of Adam and Eve, uh, God created the world and made the Garden of Eden. It's in the Mesopotamia Valley between the Tigris and Euphrates River. You can go there if you want today. It's a real thing. It's not, Bible's not a mythical made-up thing. It's a real thing. Um, so he said, you can have whatever you want, right? Buffet style. But you cannot eat of this tree. But there's something about us, right, as humans, that even if God says no, we want to go after it, don't we? Well, I do at least. 
And so Moses writes, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, this is like the first infomercial. If you eat this, your life will be better. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her, Adam, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were both naked, which is interesting because they had been naked their whole existence, but they're just realizing that like nudity is supposed to be shameful, but it, nudity is beautiful when you're in the context of you and your spouse in your bedroom. But there's something that happened. There's feelings and emotions that they're experiencing for the first time that is m- making both Adam and Eve very uncomfortable. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Man, let's, let's start with, with us. When you think of manhood, what words would you use to describe manhood? When you, um, when you uh, think of a person that exudes and exemplifies manhood, who is that man? Is it, is it your father? Is it a brother? Is it a friend, a, a pastor? See, man, we, we were created to be movement. We were created to move not just towards our spouse, but to our children, the, 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 the women we're dating, you know, even before we're, we're married, right? We're, we're, supposed to cr- we're created to move even towards our friends, that our meaning comes from our movement. But what is Adam doing? This is the first record of not just sin, things that we do, but things that we don't do. This is the re- first recorded event where a husband is being passive. He's not defending his wife. He's letting his bride take the brunt of God's wrath here. He's not saying, Eve, are are you sure? He's not moving towards his wife. And I I know that I can take liberties here, but maybe he's not even thinking. He might not even be thinking. What would this do to my bride if she eats this? Because God said not to do it. And for the first time, Adam experiences incompetency, inadequacy, and impotence. See, men, our greatest fear, our core fear, is weightlessness. Have you been there? Sure you have. You you don't know how to figure this thing out in life. There's not a manual, there's not a toolbox to fix this relationship or this parenting tension that you're in. And Adam doesn't know what to do. And he feels weightlessness. And he doesn't speak up for his wife. Ladies, when you think about womanhood, what words come to mind? What adjectives come to mind? When you think about womanhood, uh, who is the woman in your life that exemplifies and exudes womanhood? It's interesting, uh, I found out this week in studying for the message, the word female is a beautiful word, has beautiful meaning and purpose. It literally means boarded open in the scriptures. And one example of that is 2 Kings 12.9, where the writer says, a priest took a chest, boarded a hole in the lid, he placed it beside the altar, on the right side is one enters to the temple. Basically, he's talking about people going to church and giving offering. That's basically what he's talking about. The priest who guarded the entrance put it into the chest, all the money that was brought into the temple. Man, you are created to move 
towards your spouse. And the scriptures are saying females, ladies, are created to receive the movement of a man. Yes, women can initiate movement as well, okay? I, I know I've been here for three months, and I'm pretty sure you know me well enough to know that, that I would say that. But why is Eve not receiving Adam? Because he's not moving. Because he feels weightlessness. He feels incompetent. He feels stupid. He feels like he's worthless, and he doesn't matter. And it cuts into the core of their sexuality and their intimacy. And Eve experiences one of the greatest fears that women have. Not weightlessness. It's invisibility. Asking the questions, am I being noticed by my husband? Am I desirable to him? Is he listening to how I want to be loved and how I want to be pursued? My friend Melissa Anderson, uh, who I worked with back in Illinois, says femininity is a woman at rest with her beauty. Love that. I love that quote. I hope it's true. I, I was encouraged by it, and I wanted to share it with you ladies, that a woman, a femininity is a woman at rest with her beauty. I don't know if Eve was feeling beautiful in this moment, but I knew, and I don't, I'm not that guy, I don't like to blame a lot of things on the devil, because <laughs> a lot of times we just make broken, dumb decisions. But the devil wants nothing more. I don't know if you know this or not, but the devil likes to go bowling. One of the Hebrew words for the devil means to split, to, to, to like a, when a bowling ball splits pens. So one of the activities of the devil, uh, and there's many names for this evil thing, devil, Satan, Lucifer, all that stuff, is to split a husband and wife apart. There's a reason why you're fighting. There's a reason why your kids are annoying. There's reasons why you're struggling with money. Right? Just beyond, just beyond what you can physically see, know, or understand. The devil wants you to keep at odds with each other. He wants your husband to feel weightlessness. He wants your bride to feel unnoticed, unlovable, and invisible. But men, you are not weightless. You are not incompetent. You are not inadequate. Let me tell you, maybe for the first time, okay? And, and this is going to be overwhelming. This is, this is the most beautiful, manly Hallmark card you're ever going to hear. You are the doxa of God, men. Translated into English, men are the glory of God. What does the word glory mean? It has everything to do with weight and substance and things that move and have value <clears throat> and have meaning. And so when we feel weightless, men, we, we don't feel like we're the glory of God. We feel like we don't matter. But scripture says, you are the weightiest person in every relationship that you have, not just your spouse. Men, listen, even if you don't consider yourself a leader, when you whisper, you shout. When you whisper, you shout, because you represent the glory of God. Like, I'm not even a Christian. When you were born, your true identity would be one day that you would realize that you are the weight of the living God. And I'm tired. Soapbox. I love the Super Bowl, but I'm tired of seeing commercials, Dorito commercials specifically, if you're watching Dorito, 
of men looking lazy and incompetent. You are not lazy. You are not worthless. You are not incompetent. And even if you were raped, abused by your father or a family member, you are the glory of God. Even if today you would say, I'm not a Jesus, it doesn't matter. You were created to be the weight of God to everybody you come in contact with. You want a better sex life? You want more intimacy? Follow Jesus. That's not what I'm saying as a preacher. I'm just telling you as a fellow human being what I've discovered. Ladies, you are not unlovable. You are not invisible. You are not unseen. Here's your word, ladies. Best Hallmark card you're ever going to read. You are the Korah of God. Ladies, translate in English, you are the beauty of God. You are to be experienced. You are to be someone that says, I want to receive your movement. And you are to be the garden and the beauty and the art of the experience of what it actually means from Genesis to Revelation that God is coming towards us and pursuing us with his love and with his beauty. You are the beauty of God. Don't settle for anything less. And again, I'll say this to you ladies as I did with the men. I don't care if you say you're a Christian or not. Right now, When you were born, you did not know this. I'm telling you this right now. You were created to know that you are the beauty of God. You are worth being pursued after. You have the right to say yes or no to any movement a man or a little boy (laughs) tries to make towards you. Do not settle for anything less than a man that obviously exudes the glory of God, that there is a toughness and a tenderness to him. And he knows the difference of when to be tough and when to be tender. Ladies, you are the invitation of God. Man, how... It matters. It matters (laughs) what you think about with your sexuality, because it impacts your level of discipleship. This isn't about black and white. Can I do this? Can I not? It's about you following Jesus and having no other gods, deities, people, ideas, pressures defining you. Jesus gets that. He gets to define you. And even, even, look, I'm not asking you to believe this. But, but it's the truth. Even if you've been raped, even if you've been abused, even if you've been neglected, he still wants to form your identity. And even if you have really hard questions for him, he's not going to run. Third and final thing, cultivating your intimacy grows your legacy. Jesus himself, talking to religious people, as he usually does, he always comes down on the religious people. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Haven't you read your Bible? I love that. Haven't you read your, or in the first century, the Torah, haven't you read your Bible that the creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female, and because of this, man leaves his father and mother and is firmly bonded, 
or cleaves, as the bumper video so eloquently said, to his wife without the darts, becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies, excuse me, but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art. Whoa! He calls your marriage an art by cutting them apart. That you get to be on display for the world to show friends and family. Not to be overly religious where you're weird, but to show people the glory and the beauty of God. I, I, am, I am firmly committed to this belief that when husbands and wives serve together, like Brian, our worship pastor, and his wife were serving together. Last weekend, Tyler, his wife, they were serving together. It's more of an exponential impact when couples serve together. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing the legacy that you can leave. I want to close by giving you four questions to think about and have conversations with your spouse. Uh, free to text them, write them down, or take a photo. How can I cultivate an intimacy that begins before the bedroom? This means having a conversation at a coffee shop or desired location and listening. What does it look like? How do you want to be pursued? Second question, how do I personally experience Jesus? How am I personally experiencing Jesus. So my identity comes from him, not my spouse, my kids, or my job, or whatever we use it for. What core fears am I avoiding? If you haven't had sex in a while, if you haven't been intimate with your spouse in a while, I would encourage you to ask the question or say, here are some of the core fears that I have. I'm feeling inadequate right now. My, my boss is down my back. My kids are driving me crazy. Like wh Whatever it is, have that conversation because it matters in your discipleship with Jesus. Last question. How soon and how often can we schedule and maintain a date night, okay? Never stop dating your spouse. If it's not scheduled, it's not going to get done. I, pro I promise you, okay? I know my wife can say amen, but she loves me, and she's not saying it right now. If it's not scheduled, stop looking at her. It's not, <laughs> it's not going to get done. Your marriage, your intimacy is more important than how many times you have to run your kids around to different things they're involved with. It's more important than always saying yes to hanging out with your friends, even though it's a good thing. Your intimacy is a lesson. It's a gift. Your, your, your boundaries and your spouse being your priority are things that your children will pick up on. It's good that your kids don't come first. It's good that your kids see that your spouse comes first because you're laying the foundation for when they get married, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. One of the key um, stories in the scriptures is that Jesus calls himself a bride and the uh, is groom. Sorry, don't shoot me. Jesus calls himself a groom and the church is a bride. And so what I'd like to do, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. It's an opportunity to reflect on the love. The, well, let's just use the words I've been using, the weight and beauty of God. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And if you're comfortable, do it. If not, fine. If you're, if you're sitting next to someone you're married to uh, or dating, uh, we would encourage you to hold their hand, okay? Uh, we're going to show you a video of a montage of grooms looking at, their, looking at their future brides for the first time. And so we hope that during this communion time, that when you see the groom, that you would know how Jesus looks at you, regardless of your past. Because on that day of your wedding, you belong to your groom, and the groom belongs to the bride. So let me pray. We'll take communion together. And as the communion trays are being passed, I want you, hopefully, my prayer is that you would be encouraged 
hold the hand of your spouse, the person you're dating, ask, make sure it's cool, because that could be weird, and spend time, time not only watching the video, but praying over your spouse, with your spouse, together or out loud. It, it's up to you. Jesus, thanks so much for an opportunity to talk about something that's very personal in our lives. Um, I think uh, it's one of the things that affects us greatly in our discipleship. And so I, I, uh, I repent on behalf of churches that constantly drop the hammer on people. I think of my favorite artist, Jackson Brown, when he says, don't remind me of my failures. I haven't forgotten them. Uh, most of us know where our brokenness comes from. Would you remind us in this moment where our weight comes from and where our beauty comes from? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.